Hi and welcome to episode 4 of Coffee and Covid. So it's been a little while since the last one. Honestly, you just can't get hold of decent editing staff these days. The editor is my girlfriend, so please give this podcast a good review or I go into trouble. So there's been some changes, uh, quite a lot of changes, and it feels like things are calming down in and out of hospital. Obviously, lots of changes with the restrictions. But the reality in hospital is there's still COVID patients and we still don't know what each day holds. And by that, I mean whether we're going to see a jump in cases or if things will remain calm for a while. So my shifts in intensive care continue, but I've been lucky to do some anaesthetics too, which has been a welcome change. A real mental relief actually from the intensity of treating COVID, because as you've heard in previous episodes, it's been particularly draining. But sharing experiences and catching up with people has been really helpful. And in this episode, we go back to London, metaphorically, not from Durham or Barnard Castle or anywhere, And I chat to my friend, fellow medic and fellow comedian, Matt Hutchinson. We last saw each other last year at a gig in Backyard Comedy Club in London. And with all live shows cancelled for months now, I ask Matt if he remembers when his last gig was and when things started getting serious for him. It's probably maybe the beginning of March, end of Feb. I really can't remember the exact time. I have to make sure it's not something that makes me look bad in terms of lockdown timing. Um, But I think it must have been... (laughs) maybe a good couple of weeks maybe before lockdown was properly announced so I can look back at my calendar did you uh, you know at that point that it was going to go the way it has no I was like I confessed to being fairly ignorant up until fairly late like not you know not dangerously late but I think my brother was already sort of sounding the alarm that you know we're going to be on lockdown at pretty much the same mid-feb early feb even to um, but he was really on it like I guess it's going to be terrible here as well because his partner is Italian so she was obviously getting stories from her parents who are also doctors in Italy and going it's going to be us he got direct like messages from people in Italy then to know what was going on yeah because I mean I think obviously some of it was covered in the UK media but not anything that really demonstrated the scale um, of just what things were like there how overwhelmed the hospitals were um Obviously, we got some of it, and I've got some of it maybe a bit retrospectively, but at the time, he had kind of more of a live you know, hotline to the situation. Also, when you felt your hospital was thinking the same thing? or um, So, I mean, I, was, I think there was still a bit of a lag, and obviously it's really difficult because you can sort of project onto your seniors the idea that they're not doing anything, but actually they're having meetings that you're not involved in, so you don't want to make assumptions. But certainly, I don't think that the level of what you know what eventually happened uh, was predicted even in the hospital in say for example February etc like some of the consultants didn't seem on board with the idea that it was going to be chaos it certainly felt like preparing for battle and if you've ever seen Lord of the Rings it was like before the battle at Helm's Deep knowing something bad was coming and trying to find as many people as possible and using anything you can to fight. Although I'm not sure who I'd be the medical equivalent of in Lord of the Rings. Before, I'd have said Gimli, the dwarf, but having to shave for PPE makes me a bit more Legolas. Although judging by the amount of snacking I do, I'm probably a hobbit. Anyway, so here's Matt explaining what sort of doctor he is. 
So, I mean, my day job or what I normally do is I'm a rheumatology doctor who also does general acute medicine. Um, and currently general acute medicine means COVID most of the time, all of the time, pretty much 24-7. So sometimes in A&E, they'll be seeing new patients and supervising other doctors who are also seeing new COVID patients. Um, and then when you're on the ward, it's doing a ward round and looking after COVID patients. Very clearly, I can remember the first, one of the first take blocks or the first days rather I was doing take this block. They were like, right, you've all got to go and learn how to don PPE before we see any patients. So that was the sort of crash course in here's how to put on multiple layers of protective clothing in case someone with COVID comes in. And also because we were planning to receive the first patients transferred from other hospitals at that point. As the pandemic spread, there was a real cognitive overload and a lot of it was related to guidance. We were learning all the time and information from across the world in intensive care units was helping write and then rewrite guidelines. We'd be sent so many of these guidelines that it was difficult to keep ahead of what was the current version. It was certainly my experience. Was it for Matt too? It got to the point where you'd come in every day and there would be a new complete sort of operational plan. So it'd be like today, all of the patients who've got a cough are suspected. Then they're like, we, we, we swabbed too many people yesterday. Now only if they have a cough and a fever. And then they'd be like, we missed too many cases. It's back to anyone who even remotely looks unwell as getting swabbed. Would be, you know, so you just turn up and work out what that is. And also different wards kept changing their designations. They'd be like, right, the plan is now everyone who might have a cough goes to this ward and gets assessed there. The thing that in terms of preparedness that I did find strange was the fact that we didn't just take all of the advice from every country that experienced it before. So it sort of took us to learn by ourselves that any patient could actually come back positive. You know, all of your respiratory cases are essentially COVID until proven otherwise. Like that was kind of a realisation that occurred anew in us rather than just going, should we just speak to people instantly and find out which patients we should be testing, which patients we should be suspecting, what we should do at any given time, which didn't seem to have been done compared to the rest of your career in hospital yeah how busy has it been for you uh, it's gone in two phases so those periods where we initially were very 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 busy overnight non-take etc were quite tough um, but it was I guess a higher volume of sick patients but probably no more patients than you would usually see so definitely when I've been on take you'd have you know four or five critically ill people on very high oxygen and pressure requirements in recess simultaneously and you're kind of debating with ITU who needs their intervention first. The other thing that's happened latterly is that they've kind of flooded the wards with all the doctors who are now not doing what they would usually be doing. So lots of clinics and things being cancelled has actually freed up a lot of medical registrars for example. So now at night at the hospital I'm in there are sort of four or five medical registrars in the building at any one time. In intensive care, there's been more people around too, which means more help and a real feeling of teamwork. It's been a really good thing amongst a really dark period. And I asked Matt if he'd experienced something similar too. The atmosphere is definitely a lot better. And I think, like you say, there's a lot of uh, collaboration. I guess the parallel I draw with that is the A&E uh, sort of medicine interface because sometimes it can be fractious in some places or they can feel a bit dumped on as a medical team but with new systems that are trying to sort of you know help throughput and minimize re-exposure to patients 
doing things like just overseeing what the A and E, you know, doctors are doing rather than redoing everything that they've done and being given a huge pile of work to do. They're actually, you know, being very, very accommodating, or they were when we were very, very busy. Having said that, we're not excessively busy. I more feel we're the right kind of busy now compared to previously, because I think you get very indoctrinated into the idea that you should be working flat out constantly at the very end of your capacity, which is ludicrous for medicine, where the decisions carry so much potential for you know harm and yeah. a major impact. So actually, the fact that we now have a bit of slack in our day, should something bad happen, it should be you know you know welcomed. <laughs> As well as being a career for me, comedy can be a release from the tensions of hospital work, something completely different that I do. But with live performance gone, we've all had to look at other means of being creative. And I asked Matt how he's been finding that. Definitely feels like a massive creative loss, because I'm sure you're the same, that like, a lot of the joy of stand-up is that you could think of something this morning that you think, oh, this is brilliant. I mean, it probably isn't for me. But um, but then you sort of turn up and go, I can go and try that now. I can go and do this thing I've just thought of and get an instant reaction. So the impetus to then write comedy that you may or may not be able to perform in six months' time, it's just not there. It's just absolutely bonkers to think that that's just gone now. And mm-hmm. it was gone. It's unpredictable when it's going to come back. I'm not convinced it's going to be reliably back for two years. Two years? Terms. So you've got to think about it like in terms of things like Edinburgh and clubs being viable, because if they're saying that social distancing might need to stay until the end of this year, how could you put the money into booking a club night that may be cancelled if they reintroduce lockdown or you have a spike? Then there's the vaccination period. How long does it take to see if the vaccination works? Because, you know, even if you start a vaccination programme end of this year, um you don't know if the drop in cases is just a natural undulation in the spread of the disease so that eats into preview season for edinburgh next year i'm not going to put money down on a room that's going to could cost me thousands of pounds without knowing if i'm going to have to preview the show for the run-up so instantly you've just taken out 2021 pretty much there's just like loads of other things that i felt like i didn't have time to do when i was doing live stand-up gigs i'd rather just put my energy into those things at the moment because they are things i'll look back on so I've got quite a lot back into making music and producing music uh, again, which is something I used to do quite a lot of and then couldn't really focus on when I was doing more live comedy. Like I you know, got closer to finishing a track that I just sort of had not doing anything with. Um, and I find that far more satisfying than writing some jokes that I don't know if I'll ever be able to tell. <laughs> so that's episode four. There's some more plans, so do subscribe and tell other people about this podcast. And if you're feeling particularly generous, please do give it a five-star review on your podcast app and you can leave a comment too. And if it's nice, I'll read it out. If you'd like to ask a question to me and my future guests, you can do so by going to coffeeandcovid.co.uk and if appropriate, we will try to answer them. On Twitter, you can find me at dredpatrick. Music was created by David Curran. You can find links to his work and more in the episode notes. We'll see you in episode five.